Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. What are we talking about today? We are talking about a cute little signal processing and machine learning process that some researchers have figured out whereby they can steal a PIN number from your phone without having any physical access to it. Oh, that sounds terrifying. What, uh, I'm curious why you use the word cute. <laughs> oh, well, because I think it's just so clever that I was just grinning ear to ear when I was reading about it. And I was like, I have to talk about this on the podcast. <laughs> awesome. Okay, cool. Uh, you are listening to Linear Digressions. Okay, I'm going to make a guess about how this works. Okay. So Go. with so with no physical access to the device, I imagine that... I, so as the person types in their PIN number, right? Like when you dial on a telephone whether it's a modern telephone or whether it's an older telephone, it makes those um, those sounds, the beep, 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 or whatever. And if you pick those apart, it's actually two tones. And so by listening to the sounds that the phone makes, you can figure out based on the two pitches that you hear for each number, what number is being pressed on the, on the keypad. And so, this is why I always I, f- I feel strange entering, for example, in my social security number, because not only might the line not be secure, but if anybody hears that and happens to be recording it, then they could actually pull, uh, analyze that data and figure out what my social security number is. So that's my guess. That's not a bad guess. It happens to be incorrect insofar as the particular methodology that I'm thinking of, which is not to say that it's impossible, but... This is even sneakier than that. Sneakier than that, huh? Yes. So here's the setup. So imagine that you're sitting in some kind of public space that has a public Wi-Fi that you're logged into. You are the victim of the attack, and I am the attacker. Right. And so what I've done is sometime before you arrived at, you know, this coffee shop or whatever, I've put a little uh, transceiver next to the router. And so this transceiver is watching all of the messages that are being exchanged between the Wi-Fi router and all the phones and computers and things like that. And so I am generally probably not able to actually see a lot of the information that's being passed between the devices and the router because they're being passed in sort of encrypted format over HTTPS and and so on. However, and, and yeah, we'll assume for the purposes of this that any of the information that would potentially be identifying or that I would want to steal or that you would want to steal from me is being passed encrypted because there are all kinds of exploits that involve uh, basically data that's not being encrypted going over the wire. Oh, yeah. So assume it's all it's all encrypted. Uh, you know, everyone is using sort of best practices here. Okay. Okay. And let's suppose that what I'm interested in specifically, to, to be concrete about this scenario, you have to have a little bit of a little bit of background knowledge to execute this attack. So let's suppose I know that you're buying something on the exact website that they use as the example here is Alipay, which is, I think, a uh, it's a, a mobile payment platform. So it's kind of like PayPal, but some of the uh, researchers on this paper are Chinese, so it, it might be sort of bigger in China than it is in the United States. But anyway, imagine something like PayPal or something where you're sending payments over uh, the the Wi-Fi here. So taking a step back again, 
The user's in a coffee shop. They're connected to a public Wi-Fi hotspot, which doesn't have to be owned by you. Right. But you're just sitting there watching sort of the ambient traffic that they're exchanging with the, with the Wi-Fi spot. So then, you know, everything might be encrypted. Everything is on the up and up. But at some point, the person goes to, you know, check out and make their Alipay payment. And you're watching. And what you need to do, this is the first important part of this attack, is you recognize once uh, the person is starting to make an interaction with Alipay. So in particular, what they looked at with this one is that Alipay has uh, certain IP addresses that people start sending their traffic to when they're over sort of this secure connection and making uh, the transaction. Uh, And so what you're looking for is while you can't see the content of what they're sending or receiving, you can see the metadata about what IP addresses they're exchanging packets with. And so you're looking for the IP addresses that are signaling that they're about to make some kind of secure transaction. That's really tricky. Yeah. So that's the first thing. So you have to you have to have sort of that background knowledge of knowing what sites you're interested in watching them go to. So, okay, so the person is now starting to exchange information with this secure payment site. So within probably the next few seconds, they're going to be entering the PIN into their phone, right? And so here's where, here's, here's where the attack happens. As they're entering the PIN into the phone, you don't exactly know that they're entering the PIN into the phone. You just know that there's sort of this golden window where they'll likely be doing it. Mm-hmm. Your little pinger that you've set up starts exchanging what are called... ICMP echo requests. ICMP stands for Internet Control Message Protocol. So they're basically echo requests where it says like, hey, phone, and the phone goes, yep. And you say, hey, phone, and the phone goes, yep. Exactly. So what you do is you start exchanging. They're colloquially called pings. So you start pinging the phone really quickly. Uh, I think the, the frequency with which they're pinging the phone in this example is like 800 times a second. Oh, wow. So really a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's important that it be much more rapidly that you're pinging the phone than anything that the human is doing. So, the human is doing something on the phone where each of their actions might take maybe a tenth of a second or a second to execute, but you're you're obviously pinging the phone much more quickly than that. So, you're sampling very quickly. Now, wait a second though because you're just pinging the phone, right? You're not actually you're not getting any information necessarily about the user typing in this or that or whatever. You're just saying, hey, f- hey, phone, hey, phone, hey, phone. And the phone's like, yo, I'm here, yo, I'm here, yo, I'm here. Well, right. So as the phone is sending back that, yo, I'm here, yo, I'm here, yo, I'm here, their thumb and their hand uh, configuration potentially is moving over the surface of the phone because they're entering their pin. And right. as their thumb is moving, it attenuates, it reflects, it slightly blocks, it messes with the signal that is being sent back to your pinger. And so what your pinger is looking for is for not to get the information back from the phone, like, yo, I'm here. It knows that. It doesn't care. What it's looking for is for these subtle manipulations in um, the, you know, kind of that, what's called the channel state information. And this is starting to get into a, a realm of signal processing that I am not an expert in, but you can imagine how if there's a signal that you're exchanging between a transmitter and a receiver, and there's something like, uh, you know, a bag of water moving around in between those two, the bag of water here being, you know, a person's hand. <laughs> the human. <laughs> the, yeah, that it can mess with 
the signal. And if, if you have a receiver that's looking for that carefully enough and it's close by and, you you know, things aren't moving around in other ways that make things tricky and, and so on, that you can, you can detect that uh, distortion that you get in the signal as a result of, you know, sort of interference from the person's body. That's really crazy. One thing that's interesting uh, to note, I guess, to put into perspective is Wi-Fi signals are just electromagnetic radiation. And another way of thinking about electromagnetic radiation, and this is a little bit hand wavy and not 100% accurate, but you can just think of it as light. So light, radio waves, Wi-Fi, microwaves, gamma radiation, all of this stuff is really the same stuff fundamentally. And so when we're talking about uh, Wi-Fi signals, you can imagine that almost like the phone has a blinking light on it. Now it's a completely different wavelength and you can't see it with your eyeball, right? And it also interacts with um, with stuff, with like people or walls or whatever, a little bit uh, differently. But fundamentally it's the same stuff. So if you imagine that you uh, you have a light bulb and you're moving your hand around in front of the light bulb, Obviously, the light that's coming from the light bulb is going to be is going to be different. So, if you have a light sensor, you can infer like, hey, is it being covered by maybe someone's hand or not? This is kind of a more complicated version of that, where your hand is attenuating the signal in these various ways. And um, so, but what you're saying is that you can look at the attenuation of the signal and somehow figure out where the person's hand is on the phone. Well, this is where the machine learning comes in. And there's also Aha. some some more signal processing that goes into it here because you need to do things like smooth out the signal that you get. Um, and so there's a, a few process uh, or a few steps in the process of what you do to the signal exactly so you can get out this kind of smooth waveform that you can then try to match onto um, the training set that you have basically of, of people that you know what, what digit they were entering. So what you want to do is you pass it through what's called a, a low-pass filter. So that filters out a lot of the sort of jitter and the noise around the signal that you're seeing. Then you take um, the, you do a, pr- a principal components analysis. So you try to figure out what's the uh, dimensions in your signal of maximal variation for people who are uh, familiar with principal components analysis. Um, and so this reduces the dimensionality of the data and it makes it a little bit easier for you to work with in machine learning contexts. What you get out of that after you process it a little bit is kind of this smooth curve like a, that you can imagine the trace of a line and the trace of that line somehow describes you know the fluctuations that you see in the signal as a result of someone's finger moving and then you have to do a dynamic time warp if anyone remembers this from our um detector episode a dynamic time warp is a signal processing algorithm that allows you to take uh, sequences of time series data and kind of stretch and shift them so that you can map them onto each other to account for slight offsets and when they begin and end. Right. And, yeah, because I know, might... sometimes, yeah, sometimes they get stretched or shortened or whatever. Right. So some people will type in their pin very slowly and some people will type in their pin more quickly. Yeah. And so a dynamic time warp basically recognizes that the fundamental shape is the same between those two actions, even though the exact time that it took to execute them is a little bit different and just helps you know, reconcile that those are in fact the same shape. Um, And then you have everything that you need to do some machine learning. You're just doing, you have basically a curve of what's the signal attenuation that we got out of watching this person uh, enter what we think was their pin. 
And then let's try to map that onto our training set. So we have a bunch of examples that we took from people earlier of watching them enter different digits into their phones. And we saw the curves that we got out of that process and which one of these curves does it look the most like. Um, And so depending on exactly how far away the person is from the receiver, whether they're facing it front on or they have their back to it, those kinds of things then, you know, from anywhere, also what device they're on, it turns out that matters as well, um, that you can tell with, you know, with reasonably high accuracy, some somewhere between maybe 50% and 90%, depending on the details, uh, you can figure out what number they were punching in and, uh, and voila, you've just stolen their pin. That's just crazy. And also it's worth noting that even if you get it wrong, uh, you probably have a bunch of predictions coming from your algorithm. Like it's it's probably this, but it also might be this and it might be this. And really you're reducing, let's say it's a four digit pin number, then you're reducing 10,000 numbers down to let's say four. That's good enough. Yeah. So this is, to the best of my knowledge, only been demonstrated sort of in the lab, so to speak. This is a, a paper that was um, published fairly recently. Um, and we'll have a, a link on our website, as always. Uh, the name of the system is called uh, Wind Talker, was the name of what they came up with here. And so as far as I'm aware, this is maybe not something that you need to be paranoid about immediately. I'm also not sure <laughs> what, if anything, you're supposed to do about it if you if if someone decides to attack you this way. Oh, uh, I do. I, I know what. Type what? your pin slowly and spin in a circle. <laughs> Or, or so, stick, stick your entire hand into a lead box or something. You know, like security researchers probably already look kind of crazy with all of the different precautions that they take. But if they start spinning in a circle when, they, uh, when they're when they typing in their pin. Okay, actually, I do have a confession to make. When I'm typing in my password on a phone, I actually do this already. I turn around in case someone happens to be standing behind me and looking over my shoulder. Or, worst case... If somebody happens to be recording with their their camera phone or something like that, because then you can then you can freeze frame and you can see every single letter that the person uh, inputs. So I'm maybe already a little bit paranoid, but it sounds like uh, I, I have a good method against wind talker. You could also just cover up the your screen with your hand, couldn't you? Well, yeah, but it's it's. I mean, it's really hard to enter your pin in a bank, for example, and really fully cover it, right? Oh, I see. Like, on, right? I thought you meant on your phone, but yeah, no, oh, that's a good on point. On your phone too. It's it's still difficult. There are, you know, if if you follow security news, which luckily this podcast is not about security news, because then we would all be this paranoid. But if you follow security news, it's really easy to get paranoid really, really fast. Oh yeah, for sure. My perspective on all of this, including uh, passwords and all that stuff, is uh, you're never going to be 100% secure, but the most important thing is to not be the the low-hanging fruit, right? So while it is important, very important to have unique passwords for every website, right? If you are not very good at computers and you're just not gonna do that, at the very, very least, have a different password for accounts that matter, accounts that don't matter, and your email. So that's three passwords, right? And as long as you're not the lowest hanging fruit, then it's going to be a little bit less easy to target you. And most of the time, people who are targeting people are going to try and target a lot of people all at once 
to get the low-hanging fruit. And this has been the security tips of the week from Ben (laughs) and Katie. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Join us next time when we tell you all the hallmarks of a phishing email. That's phishing with a PH. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.